Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Morning, church. Good to see everybody here at the early service. This is our fourth week into doing the 8:30 service. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I read an article by a guy named Herb Miller this week. Of told the story of a small town where its first club, its first bar, moved in right on Main Street, and once the uh, one and only church of the town. Realized there was a bar moving into uh, the town that they called an all-night prayer vigil, prayer meeting, where they immediately went to pray that God would burn the bar down. With, within just a few minutes of them praying, lightning struck the club, and it burnt to the ground. Upon which, the bar owner sued the church. Took them to court. Of course, the church denied any responsibility in the burning down of the bar. And so the judge looks out at the bar owner and the church representative and says, Well, it seems that wherever the guilt may lie, the club owner believes in prayer and the church doesn't. (laughs) We've been in a series on prayer. Uh, We're going to... One more week we're going to, uh, we're going to look at this, and uh, today we're going to take a look at, does it really make a difference if the local church itself becomes a praying church? Does it, make, uh, does it change anything at all? We're going to be over in the 12th chapter of Acts. Billy Graham said um, years ago that heaven is full of answers for which no one bothered to ask. I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. Obviously, Billy Graham does believe that it makes a difference if you pray, if a church prays. Do you think you would pray more often if you believed your prayers would be answered? Do you think that if you believed that God actually responded uh, to your request that we would probably be a little less depressed, maybe a little more hopeful, maybe a little less worn out if we knew that God would come alongside us? Or that we would come alongside God if the prayers actually worked. I mean, what, why do we want to be a praying church? Um, so that's my question today because uh, I want to bring it down to where we are at the vineyard and why we believe in prayer and why we do pray and uh, in hopes that we'll have more of you joining us in prayer. So let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for your time today. Thank you that uh, we're able to gather. Thank you that you have promised that wherever two or more gathered in your name, you would be there. We ask that you would breathe life on your word this morning. Lord, that you would come and encourage us to talk to you, to, to spend time with you and to listen to you. And Lord, I ask today in, in this group this morning here at the early service that you would 
Come and make yourself known. There are prayers in this room right now. There are prayers for people, for their own situations, for their loved ones, their needs, their pains. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would come today. Make yourself known. Let us know you hear our prayers, Lord. Can I be that bold to ask you to do that, Lord? Could you do that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, when you talk about whether God hears your prayers or not, you run into uh, kind of a theology. Some people have a theology of God's sovereignty, this whole issue that God is sovereign, which, hey, I am so grateful God is sovereign, that uh, God's going to get the last word on everything, and that he is sovereign over all. But does that sovereignty, does God being sovereign mean it doesn't matter whether we ever talk to him or ask him for things or, or go to him for things, that our praying has no bearing on what God will do? Does God's sovereign, sovereignty, does that wonderful and beautiful theology, does that mean that we do not play any part in what God does on the earth? I think, that's a, I think that's an important question, you know, because the answer to that question will either motivate me or discourage me from praying. I mean, we can be kind of lazy in prayer, can't we? We're like, well, you know, God always gets what he wants. He's God. I mean, right? If, if, if he's God and he, gets, he always gets what he wants, then why should I pray? He already, scripture says he knows what I'm going to ask even before I ask it. So the minute I get, oh, yeah, he knows that. Oh, yeah, he knows that. Uh why would God ask me to pray? Does it really make a difference? John Wesley, he may have gone a little bit too far in this statement, which I think he did, but John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, of the Methodist Church, said, God does nothing in this world except in response to the prayers of his people. That may be a little, a little bit off to one side, but I, don't, I think he's hitting on a, a point, uh, a very important point. And that is that there is much that God will not do outside of his church asking him to do it. He does respond to our prayers. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are God's fellow workers. Think about that. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Fellow workers, that means you come alongside God in what he's doing. That's a pretty awesome statement to know that your partner in this whole thing that God has called us to is God. And you can be a part of it. And that God doesn't want to work in spite of you. He doesn't want to work over the top of you. He doesn't want to work without you. But he wants to work through you as a channel of his will and his blessing. And uh, over in the 12th chapter of Acts, we've, uh, we're going to look at a church that is in trauma. There are some desperate things going on, and they are hurting. This church is hurting. And uh, the church in the, second chapter, in the 12th chapter of Acts has finally reached the point where Herod, who is the king... Uh, is, has begun to kill off some of the leaders. Now, we know that early on in the book of Acts, Stephen, who was a deacon in the church, he was killed. He's the first martyr. But now we see in the 12th chapter of Acts that the first leader, the first apostles, is now martyred. He has lost his head. Now, the book of Acts 
If you want, if you say, like, I can't read the Bible, Tim, it just gets so complicated for me and it doesn't make sense, start with the book of Acts because it's like a novel. You're going to be, you're going to read what the early church was like. It's called the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Church. It's the activities of what God did those first few decades of the church life. And so, and it's written by a guy who they believe was a doctor. It's written in really good Greek. So the guy knew what, you know, he knew how to express himself. And there are so many specific places and names and situations in the book of Acts that archaeologists and historians can go back. And if it was not true, they could have disproved it. But people like Sir William Ramsey and other famous archaeologists and historians have gone back in the hopes of disproving this book because it's so specific. It's got times, numbers. Uh, it's just an incredible book, and they can't disprove it. And so this, if you want to start in a book that excites you and will let you know what the church, the early church was like, then read the book of Acts. And so we get through the 12th chapter, and King Herod, or Agrippa I, is in charge. Now this guy, Herod, Agrippa I, he, uh, he is trying to make an impression on the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders are getting very nervous about this thing called Christianity, this thing about the Jesus followers. And so he has decided that he's going to make an example of some of the leaders, and so he will have them executed. So he had James killed off, John's brother, not the brother of Jesus, but James, the brother of John, James and John, remember them, over in the Gospels, had James beheaded. Now he's arrested Peter during Passover, high holidays for the Jewish people, and he's like, I'm going to execute him too because this is really finding favor with the Jewish leaders. So Peter has been locked up, and that's where we're going to join. And I want to read this whole section, Acts 12, verse 1. Let's just start right there. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some, of the, some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. 
Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell, the, tell, um, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Kind of a funny story, huh? I mean, in the midst of a very serious situation where James, James had been killed, martyred, and the church is gathering. Now, in Jerusalem now, there's probably five, 6,000 believers in the church in Jerusalem. But this is a church, one of the local churches, gathering in a home and, and uh, in her house here. And she's probably a more wealthier lady here. She had a bigger house. They didn't have buildings in the early church. The first probably about 200, 300 years, there were no church buildings. There were homes. And the bigger homes of the wealthier members of the church, they would put their houses at disposal for the church. And so there's archaeological finds where they took walls out of these bigger homes where they could make room for about 70 or 80 people or so to gather. And that was about the biggest, uh, largest groups they would have during this period of time. So this was probably one of those homes. And it was probably 70, maybe 60, 70. But no doubt the whole city knew about James' death and they knew that Peter was in jail. And so they were praying. They had pulled together and the whole church across the whole city had been asking God, please, please deliver him. Don't let us lose another one of our leaders. We need him. We've already lost one. Don't let us lose another one. And uh, I imagine there were a lot of emotions in that meeting, in that, in that prayer meeting. And uh, it's a real miracle. I mean, you've got 16 special forces soldiers you know, around Peter. He's chained on both sides. There's no way for him to get out except a miracle. It has to be a miracle for him to get out, and that's exactly what happened. I love when I read the word but in the Bible. I like the big buts in the Bible. I like it where it's but Jesus came and touched them. I like but the Lord said to them. I, I dare you to just go through your, do a survey on buts in the Bible, okay? And just, and just look at how many times God intervenes. But God remembered but Moses sought the favor of the Lord. But God did say. But God remembered. I mean, over and over you see God intervening when it looks like something is about to happen. But God. But God. You've got to fill in today and uh, if you want to follow along with me. And I want to point out a few things uh, from this local church in Acts 12 that maybe we can take to heart for our church this morning. Your first one is this. You see, a praying church prays earnestly. Verse 5, it prays earnestly. But the, but the church, but the church, something is going on in the community. Something is going on in your life, but the church prayed earnestly. And uh, like I said, no doubt this was quite an emotional prayer meeting, most likely. I mean, they were already grieving the loss of one of theirs, and now they're pouring out their hearts to try to save, to see that God would come through for, to save another one of their leaders. This word earnestly means stretched out. The, this church stretched out. Now, there's a couple ways to take that. One is that they stretched out their praying. It was through the night, all night long. They stretched out their prayers. Most likely, though, this word earnestly actually means they stretched their hands out to God. 
they stretched their hands out and to show God, say, God, we need you. Would you come through for us and stretch their arms? I know some people don't understand the, the, the practice maybe in church when people worship, they lift their hands up and, you know, they go, are they, do they want to say something? What, um, you know, why are they doing this? And part of this comes from, from this, from the past of the scripture practice of being able to acknowledge that God is God. And it's a way of worshiping and acknowledging that, that we're looking to him and it's, it's an act of surrender, stretching out the hands to God and saying, God, we need you right now. And so they earnestly prayed. They stretched out their hands to God. They were appealing to God. I mean, the New King James Version uh, in verse 1 says that Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass the church. Then you get over to the fifth verse and it says the church stretched out its hands in prayers. So whenever something comes against us and is stretching its hands into our life or into the church's life and trying to do harm... We stretch our hands out to God. We reach out to him and we ask for him to come and intervene. So prayer, prayer is stretching, isn't it? It stretches us to pray, to reach out to God, as it should. Your second one there is that uh, a praying church prays specifically, specifically, specifically. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They weren't just throwing words up in the air like, like somebody, what was that old joke years ago about giving and tithing? Like, oh, here's all my money. I'm going to throw it up, draw a circle around me, take all my money, throw it up in the air. You know, whatever God grabs, whatever falls within the circle is mine. You know, that's not the way praying is. You grab your prayers, throw it up in the air and goes, whatever sticks is good with me. So let's just throw our prayers up. No, they prayed specifically for Peter, for the situation, and they prayed specifically to God, to Jesus. Not just to, you know, not just to any God. Like, they didn't cover it. Some movie we were watching not too long ago, and the guy was praying, and he just started going down this list of every religion, you know. I prayed, I prayed, Jesus, please help me. Muhammad, cover me. You know, uh, let's see, let's see, uh, Vishnu, would you come? Buddha, i Appreciate you. If you can help me out, help me out. You're just going through a list. We don't do that in the church. You know, we have direct access. We can pray specifically to God through Jesus Christ because he has opened the door, the the temple garment between the Holy of Holies and the outer court is now down through Jesus Christ so we can go right into the very presence of God and talk to him. You are welcome to talk directly to God. Directly, specifically to him about specific issues and situations in your life. I mean, sometimes we take this your will be done thing as a generalization and, and for lazy praying, don't we? Well, I'll just, you know, anything I say, if, if only his will is done, then okay, Lord, my life, your will be done. And we think that's spiritual. That's not spiritual. That's lazy. You know, what has God put on your heart to pray about? What is the need in your life? What, are, what do you believe God is leading you into? Bring it to him. Pray to, to God and bring it straight to him and say, this is what I need for you to do, Lord. I need you to do this and be specific. Paul said in Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You see, Paul's saying, unless you pray with me, 
and you pray about my situation specifically, this may not turn out for my deliverance. So I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray specifically for me in this situation to help me. Now, everybody in here has got specific situations in your life right now where you really want a specific answer, don't you? You want like a general answer. It's like, I got a specific need. And so when we pray, we can pray specifically. We can pray to the Lord that we know that God has made access to himself through Jesus Christ. And we can pray for our specific request. John 14, 13, Jesus said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. A praying church is specific. We take your prayer request on Tuesdays. And uh, we pray for those specifically. We don't just pile them up and put our hands on top of them and go, bless them all, Lord, you know. It's like we read those requests out and we call them out to God specifically. Uh, We pray for specific people with specific needs. And a praying church can do that. A praying church can pray specifically. Thirdly, a praying church prays expectantly expectantly. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They were expecting, you know, they were looking forward. They wanted him released. There was this zeal, this expectancy in the church when they prayed. Uh, The old preacher Samuel Chadwick said, intensity is a law of prayer. There are blessings of the kingdom that are only yielded to the violence of the vehement soul. (laughs) You grab hold of it and you pray. And you pray with all of your heart. Scott Alexander White said, Let everyone put his passion into his prayers. And I believe this church was doing just that. They were praying, calling out to God. They had lost one of their own. And now they were about to lose another one of their own. I don't think they were just sitting around sipping coffee and stopping. Okay, Lord, would you do something? Hey, how about that ball team? And to go back to a conversation. They were expecting God to do something, and they were praying with an expectancy. 2 Corinthians 1, 10 through 11 says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. As you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Some things just don't get done unless we pray. Some things are not going to happen in your life, in your family's life, in this church's life, unless we pray. And we pray expectantly. What difference does it make? Your next fill in there, a praying church, receives a response. Receives a response. Suddenly, I like that. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. I had a sudden moment back here a few weeks ago. I've been praying. Um, some, some of you have been praying with me about my dad with the VA that he'd get some help. And I mean, it's been a long, long, arduous process. And, and 
all of a sudden I get to the office one morning, eight o'clock, you know, eight o'clock the phone rings and it's the VA and I get the word that dad's getting the help he needs. And I have to tell you, that was a sudden moment for me because I was about that close to giving up. I mean, it, it been, I'd been praying and praying and praying and, and also doing what I could do. And, and uh, yeah, I was about that close. And when suddenly I get a response, I mean, as soon as I could get off the, I was kind of a mess talking to the guy. And I was just trying to contain myself because it was one of those moments when you know God has answered a prayer. A response has come. But a praying church expects a response. We should expect a response. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that it isn't God's will that any should perish. That's God's will. But let me ask you this. Do people perish? Do people die without God every day? But yet it is God's will that none should perish. None. Not one without knowing Him. So what's going to make the difference in that? Yeah, who's going to, if it's God's will, God's like, hey, it's my will. I don't want them to perish. Now, we can't save anyone. I understand that. I know that. I know that. God has to woo. He drafts people. He grabs their heart. He pulls them. But we participate that in God's work. We are his fellow workers. And if we don't do the work with him, who does it? How does it get done? So we expect a response. It's okay to, you know, the last three weeks, the last three weeks over 50 people have begun their journey with Christ in this church. In the last three weeks. You know why? Because you guys are praying. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that. I believe this church is praying and praying for people to come to know our beautiful Savior. And I believe that is why it's happening. And I, I think it is just the tip of the iceberg of what we could see. Because I know it's God's will that none should perish. And because it's God's will that none should die without knowing Him, then I know there's a way for this church to come along and be a fellow worker with Him so that we can see hundreds and hundreds of people come to know Him. Let's expect a response from God. Let's expect God to respond to our specific prayers when we ask Him for people to come to know Him because He wants that. Maybe He's waiting on us. Imagine God waiting on us, waiting for us to ask Him to come alongside, to be His fellow worker. Matthew 21, 22 says, If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Do we expect a response? Do we look for a response? Or do we just throw it up and go, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. Hey, it is God's will that none should perish. Get this. Come on, church, with me. Be with me on this because this is really important to me. I think this is important to God that we realize and that we accept that it is God's will that none should perish. None. Whenever you leave these doors this morning and you go out, any restaurant you go to, any golf course you go out on in Myrtle Beach, any wave you surf on Myrtle Beach with somebody else, anywhere you go, club, neighborhoods you go into, every person you see, if you remember this, God's will is that they would not perish and not knowing me. That it is my will that they know me. 
It's my will. And that's the way we do it. Each person. We don't give up on anybody because it's God's will that none should perish. And so we pray expectantly, specifically. God puts somebody on your heart, a family member, a neighbor, uh, someone. Don't give up. Continue to pray and expect that response. Don't grow weary in it. Be like that widow in that example that Jesus gave that just wore the king down. You know, just kept going, kept going back and asking and asking and asking. Don't give up. Hang in there. This is a battle at times here. And some things are not going to happen without us praying. It's just not going to happen. Praying church receives a response and a praying church, your next one here, receives a reward. Receives a reward. Reward. (laughs) Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. It's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, the whole story. I mean, even even Peter is he he's having this dream, which is probably similar to one of the uh, it was like a folk tale of the day. I mean, this kind of goes along with a folk tale of that particular period, and he's probably thinking. I'm just dreaming this. And then suddenly he he realizes this is a dream. I'm actually being released. And, uh, I mean, the reward in Peter was this surge of faith in him. And a church that begins to see prayers answered, we get the reward of faith. Suddenly faith begins to grow in our church. And then when we look at those that we've been praying for, our faith is like encouraged to the point that we go, you know what? God is going to have you. <laughs> and we, our confidence grows in God. That is the reward of a praying church. Is that we are rewarded with optimism and faith to be able to believe God for other and bigger things that he's called us to. Paul prayed in Ephesians 6, 19 through 20. He says to the church in Ephesus, pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, I've got a, I've got a group of, I call my pit crew, preachers in training, <laughs> pit crew, and they pray, they pray for me. Every morning they're in here praying for me because that's my prayer. Pray that I preach it fearlessly. If Paul needed the prayers of the church, don't you think we need the prayers of the church to do the things we're called to do? Your prayers make a difference. Peter was rewarded with faith. He said, now I know without a doubt. And once you see the answers to your prayers coming, you can go, now I know without a doubt. And so there's, this is an excitement journey, an exciting journey to pray as a church. So a church that prays receives a response, receives a reward, and your last one there is receives a refreshing. Receives a refreshing. He goes back to the house church. Now think about this. Now he leaves the jail. When he leaves the jail, the gate opens automatically for him to leave. He gets to the church meeting, and he can't get in the gate. (laughs) Because they're not sure this is true or not. You get, I mean, the, the irony is crazy here. I mean, when Rhoda comes to the door, 
And she hears that it's Peter. She is just like ecstatic, so ecstatic, she doesn't even open the gate for him. She just runs back. She's so excited, she runs back into the prayer meeting, and she goes, you know, he's out there. And they're like, oh, whatever, Lord, please, you know, deliver Peter. No, he's, nah, you're crazy. It's, you know, it's his angel or something, whatever. Oh, Lord, please deliver Peter. They couldn't believe it. And then when they see him, they are so excited, they get very loud. <laughs> very loud. And, and, I mean, in these homes during this, this day in Jerusalem, the houses were like almost stacked on top of each other. I mean, everybody knew everybody's business. You were right next on top of Even in the wealthier homes, they were stuck right next to each other. And so Peter had to quieten them down because then the whole neighborhood, that whole group of houses would know that he was let out. So they're so excited. They're so refreshed, so renewed at seeing that their prayers have been answered. They're just making an uproar. And that's what happens. So you guys reacted a while ago when I mentioned 50 or more people coming to Christ over the last three weeks. You guys, that's your prayers. It's exciting. There's a refreshing. Suddenly you think, my prayers do count. They make a difference. I can keep praying. I can keep doing this. I can join in my small group and I can pray. I can pray for those around me. I can pray for my neighborhood. I can pray for my kids. We were uh, a part of a church one time and one of the deacons in the church, uh, this family was a singing family, and they would go all over the place singing, but there was the oldest son. Why is it always the oldest son? The oldest son... The oldest son wouldn't have anything to do with church. I mean, he'd been raised in church his whole life, and then when he got older, he walked off from it. And I had talked to him innumerable times, and he was very antagonistic and negative toward the church and toward Christ, period. And uh, this church that we were part of was a very small church, and so they just, on a Wednesday night prayer meeting, they threw his name out, and they said, let's go to prayer, and let's pray for him. And so every Wednesday night, I don't remember how long we did this, but we called his name out and out over and over again. We just called this guy's name out to God and said, Lord, you love him. Would you call him to serve you? Would you just have mercy on him? And this is no lie, guys. On, on a Wednesday night, while we're praying, and I don't remember how long, how many weeks or months this went, the doors open up and in walks this guy. Walks into the service. And he walks straight down to the front. And he just surrenders his life to Christ. Now, you don't think that place went ballistic at that moment after having prayed? You don't think there was a refreshing and a renewal and a hope in the fact that prayers count? Just like this group, once they saw Peter there, their excitement over the fact that prayers indeed do get answered, I'll bet that their faith grew. They became so excited. You know, you receive a response to your prayers. You receive a reward. The faith grows in the church. And a refreshing and a renewal comes to the church. Because you realize, indeed, I am a fellow worker. This church is a fellow, our fellow workers with God in seeing that his will is done on the face of the earth. Some things will not happen if we do not pray. And some wonderful things will happen and are going to happen when we pray. What could we do as a church if we took the call to prayer seriously? 50 people in the last three weeks, who knows what's going to happen this morning? 
What if God wanted to heal someone, wanted to touch someone, and the only thing that's missing is your prayer for them? What if the only thing that is missing is for the lonely person who feels like there's nobody on the earth that really cares about what they're going through is you stepping over to them and praying for them to let them know or you begin praying for them to be healed? What if somebody has been suffering with an addiction, a hurt, a pain, and they, are, they have prayed 1,000 times and it hasn't happened, but the 1,000th time when you pray with them, it will happen. How do you know it won't? How do we know when God will answer that prayer unless we step in to being God's fellow workers with him? God has invited us into this. We are God's fellow workers and we are just beginning to experience what God wants to do through your prayers. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.